Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. Would you believe me if I told you that a Canadian mental health hospital was conducting cruel experiments on patients using LSD, rape, embarrassment, and torture as recently as the 1980s? Well, if you don't believe me, buckle up for this one. And if you do believe me, you're likely already familiar with Ontario's controversial Oak Ridge Medical Asylum and the unimaginable things that took place within it. Those gates behind me are all that's left of Oak Ridge, long the only psychiatric forensic unit in Ontario. For about two decades, the criminally insane were brought here for what was considered a cutting-edge treatment. The mastermind behind it all was Dr. Elliot Barker. His theory was that the real problem those criminals faced is that they couldn't express their innermost feelings. Do that, Dr. Barker believed, and you could cure mental illness. We now know that Dr. Barker's treatments were as ineffective as they were harsh. And new information has revealed that the real Oak Ridge story is far more bizarre than has ever been reported until now. One of the many lives permanently altered by Oak Ridge's cruelty is Steve Smith. In fact, many of the secrets that have been revealed since the experiment ceased are a result of his determination to expose the truth of what happened within those walls. Steve Smith hasn't been shy about his involvement of Oak Ridge or about the way, for a time, it derailed his life. He's appeared in the groundbreaking CBC documentary on this case, and he further shared his very difficult to imagine story in his memoirs titled The Psychopath Machine. And when I say his story is difficult to imagine, I'm not understating it, and you'll see why soon. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we'll be joined by Oak Ridge survivor Steve Smith. And our topic will be LSD, torture, and his time at the Oak Ridge Medical Asylum. Steve Smith, the, the common cold tried to keep us apart. Uh, it managed to delay us one week, but it didn't shut us down. How, how are you doing tonight? I'm good tonight. How are you, Jordan? I'm I'm good. When when I was emailing you last week, I was not good. I was uh, we we had plans to talk last week. I uh, had the head cold from hell, or as my wife puts it, the man cold. But fortunately, that I guess that gave me the opportunity uh-huh. to lay on the couch and um, in between sips of hot tea, I was reading about Oak Ridge, uh, watched the Fifth Estate documentary that CBC did that you had appeared in a couple times. And so I'm, I'm so excited to get into it with you tonight. But before we do, let's get an introduction out of the way. Tell me a bit about you and kind of where you're at and what you're up to present day. Present day at this moment, uh, retired, uh, living in the countryside on acreage mm-hmm. with trees all around and, uh, and a Japanese pond and a cottage just beside the house with a Japanese onsen in it and um, just living the good life, sailing, enjoying uh, enjoying a lifetime of labor. I just turned 73 last week. Oh, wow. Astonishing. How did I get here? <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, 
Yeah. So, you know, it's been um, it's been a long ways from the 1960s. But here I am, prosperous, retired, happily married. Our 26th anniversary is coming up. Congrats on that as well. But yeah. you, you certainly took a movie as we get through your story. You certainly took the long way to 73. Your your life story. When I read through it, what you've been through is just absolutely shocking. And I think a lot of people will be surprised to hear that this sort of thing can or has been happening in Canada. I think that's what maybe is what's most shocking. It sounds like something pulled out of the pages of like a science fiction novel or something. So just to set the scene for people who aren't familiar with your story, let's go back to the mid to late 1960s. Maybe just give me a bit of background on like your upbringing. Like what kind, what kind of life were you living at that point? How were you raised? Just to get a context. I was a hippie like right totally embedded in the hippie culture did everything according to the hippie playbook leave home at 16 go to yorkville in toronto um live homeless live harsh but we were hippies it wasn't um wasn't the same as being homeless now Mm -hmm. being um sometimes on the street sometimes a place to stay sometimes not in yorkville was a totally different environment that homelessness is now but that's kind of where I was in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And now, this period of your life, um, you say you leave home around 16. It's at about 18 where things really get complicated. Now, the, the way you describe it, you were kind of living a life as a hippie, uh, not a modern day version of homelessness, but I guess more like a transient kind of lifestyle. When you're 18 years old, you get yourself in trouble as the result of, I believe, a stolen car. Can you tell yeah, me the story? I did, that. I did indeed steal a car. No question. <laughs> Guilty. So, yeah, that's what happened. I was hitchhiking across Canada with, mm-hmm. a, with a friend, trying to come to the West Coast, in fact, and didn't actually reach the rest, West Coast until 10 years after I left. But um, along the way, got rides that dropped us off in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. freezing cold stole a car Mm -hmm. from a parking lot from a used car sales place okay so drove it to the next town and got instantly caught Mm -hmm. so uh, maybe we had it for an hour or so we planned on leaving the car we wanted to hitchhike the Mm -hmm. idea was to hitchhike to the west coast Mm -hmm. everyone was doing that the roads were highways were full of hitchhikers you would meet other hitchhikers and whatever so that's how it was in the 60s. We wanted to hitchhike. So the car was just to get us out of the freezing cold situation oh. we were in. Mm-hmm. Other than that, leave it and keep hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. But we didn't get to leave it. We got caught. Mm-hmm. And, and right ul- away. ultimately, this scenario or this situation with the car, uh, usually when you hear of someone getting caught with a stolen car, it becomes a cautionary tale of, you know, I got uh, community service or I spent two months in jail. Yeah, that's what should have happened. In your case, uh, it's a whole different life life of torment that seems to come out after this. So we'll skip the gory details of how it came to be. Mm -hmm. But but I was essentially kidnapped and Mm -hmm. traded into from this small town in northern Ontario. I was essentially traded, um, exchanging me for someone else in this mental hospital in Penetanguishene in southern Ontario, uh, I don't know, five, six hundred miles from where I was. So 
And that's how it began. So suddenly I find myself from hitchhiking across the country to being locked in a, in a cell in a mental hospital yeah, and it, experimented on endlessly. And yes, and you know, the way you end up in the mental hospital, because getting, uh, getting caught with a stolen car does not equal mental illness, even in the 60s, but... Oh, oh yeah, I left out the fun part. I left out the fun part. I had two hits of acid, LSD. So yeah, it was pretty popular in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But we were hitchhiking and we didn't do that at the time. We wanted to save that for when we got to the West Coast and get to the Pacific Ocean and drop a hit of acid and go in the ocean. And I'd never seen an ocean up until then. So that was the plan. But getting caught um, put an end to that. So I had a shirt pocket like this with two t- tiny, they're like so small you wouldn't see them. Mm-hmm. But there they were, and I <clears throat> swallowed them. Big mistake. Oh, it, my God. So, it, of course, you know, when they got me to the police station, I was kind of tripping. Yeah, that's a good way. So, to... anyway, they they didn't know much about it. This is a small town. They're, they're, they're not, they didn't know much about LSD, and they didn't know the difference between that, between battery acid and acid acid. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, they took me to the hospital and attempted to pump my stomach, ramming a tube up my nose and all the things they do with pumping your stomach and i'm stoned on two hits of window pane acid 1960s variety yeah the, the real deal um lucy in the sky with diamonds all of it mm-hmm. so it wasn't a pleasant experience so of course you know i was temporarily nuts mm-hmm. so anyway that's how i got into this so mm-hmm. i was shanghaied into the thing incorporated into this existing program where they were actively recruiting people i later have much proof of that yeah and just so i understand so you get caught in the stolen car you quickly take the asset to avoid getting caught with that as well they believe you to be some lunatic in a stolen car because of the way the assets affecting you was there any kind of like court process or anything or were you just kind of taken away and put in what is now the infamous oak ridge okay. mental home okay there is there is incidents between where i'm locked up and um no longer stoned on acid it's gone the next day or several hours later yeah and um no longer obviously insane but by then i'm already in a situation so from where I'm caught with a stolen car and um, dropping the hits of acid and incorporated into this already existing brainwashing program in an Ontario Southern hospital in Penetanguishing, um, how that transition occurs, it's too complicated. But it was essentially kidnapping. I actually have letters between the administrator of one place and another uh, requesting me as a in exchange for someone else not a transfer but an exchange for a different patient an wow. exchange so mm-hmm. a trade give me him because i fit with with what they were looking for mm-hmm. i was exactly what they were looking for which was a kind of not a lot of resources not a lot of family backing you up there's um uh, a wandering kid could disappear like that. Mm-hmm. Just a vulnerable subject. Being 
But but when you hear today a, a story of human trafficking where someone gets caught up in organized crime or something, they find some vulnerable kid and whisk them away for like sex work or something. I think they pro- like it seems like when I read your story, I kind of see you as the like medical experiment version of that sort of story. They found someone who was vulnerable and somewhat on their own and you get scooped up in this. But for people who are unfamiliar, unfamiliar with the Oak Ridge Asylum, it's it's notorious today as a place where this weird kind of treatment was happening uh, on the, well, I guess some of them were mentally ill, but on people. Tell me a bit about when, when you ended up there, like, did it seem like, like a typical mental home hospitals oh, no, kind no, of setting? No. This is a prison. It's, mm-hmm. it's the most outrageous prison you could imagine. Mm-hmm. It's, you really have to see there's lots of pictures most anybody watching this can find yeah uh oodles of pictures from inside oak ridge it's a horror story even looking it's, at it from the outside it looks like something you would see like in a world war ii kind of camp or something like that to me like this big ugly brick building if you look at view and look at the structure of the building and look at the structure of auschwitz for example just look at it they're the same mm-hmm. it's like the same architect could have built those two buildings it's astonishing. Mm-hmm. That's why they tore it down. You see, most most of those old hospitals and prisons are monuments now. They're they're like tourist attractions. They didn't tear them down, but they tore Oak Ridge down because it's just so horrid looking. Mm-hmm. I'm so, sure. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. And when you first arrived there, kind of uh, aside from aesthetically being ugly and cold and kind of grim what was it like inside there um it it seems to me that it wasn't at all like a typical hospital like what was your day-to-day like everybody in there was crazy except me Mm. that's literally what it as it turned out to be i know every mental patient says that as they're being dragged down the hot down you know but no every everybody in this program was has been there for a while but they were all crazy in one way or another but here's the thing. They weren't crazy in the traditional schizophrenic, um, um, non-communicate, you know, people screaming and banging on walls and not crazy like that. They were psychopaths. Most of people involved in this were called psychopaths, which interestingly enough, being a psychopath is not a mental illness and never was. Mm. It's a type of character. We don't like them. We used to call them jerks, assholes, bad guys. But in that time, just watch some of the videos. These are not mentally ill. They're not crazy people. They're just people that don't give a damn. They're mm-hmm. different. They don't have a conscience. But most of the people in Oak Ridge, that's what they were. They weren't mental patients. You wouldn't know them from people you would pass by on the street, wouldn't recognize them. Mm-hmm. Not like what you see on a street, any big city now, crazy people banging on telephone poles and screaming at the sky. Mm-hmm. Not like that at all. These are generally like people who, I guess by most measures, would be intelligent people, but had something about their character that made them not fit yeah. into society and were yeah. psychopaths. Yeah, like they murdered people, for example. Some of them, you know, some of them murdered, raped, and tortured people. Wow. They were bad people. I mean, really, the baddest of the baddest. Look up Peter Woodcock. My God. Mm-hmm. He, it, uh, he murdered four people actually five but four according to the official wow anyway yeah there's a lot it's my book begins with i first met peter woodcock in 1968 Mm 
when I was 18 years old like that. And in so, 18, in 18, like that's, that's a kid. Like you, if you, yeah. can you recall how terrified you were back then, despite the oh, passage yeah. of time? Oh yeah. You know, something it, it makes me understand is how Holocaust survivors, when I was 20 something or 25, I met Holocaust survivors and to them, it was like yesterday. It's fresh in my mind, as it is with Holocaust survivors. Doesn't matter how much time goes by, you never forget the smell. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Aaron Habel of Generation Y, and with me is Jack Luna of Dark Topic. We'd like to introduce you to Marooned, a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention. Tales of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer. Hikers swallowed by the woods. Explorers discovering nothing but destitution. True crime calamity oddities of harrowing human experience it's a museum of misadventure so pack a lunch subscribe to marooned wherever you find podcasts we are waiting please hurry thank you now you've been referring to some of your time in oak ridge as um in the program and now i i I believe Ooh. I know what you're what you're referring to, but <laughs> people who looked into Oak Ridge and especially especially looked into the the dark side of it have come across a uh, Doctor Elliot Barker. I understand he he treated you, and he he. Uh, I'll ask you a bit about him, but uh, in your experiences with him, but he seems to be kind of the person responsible for some of the more like kind of bizarre programs that happened in there uh tell me about, oh yeah tell me about how you came across it like do you remember first meeting dr barker his story is incredibly interesting and key to much of this mm-hmm. as you know the rabbit hole goes really deep and there's lots of facets you can follow but barker his life and how he got into this is very important so In 1965, he graduated from the University of Toronto with a a degree in psychiatry. Um, Boyd, Dr. Boyd, who was the administrator of um, Oak Ridge, gave him a one-year sabbatical to travel to various places in the world, including communist China. This is 1965. China was not open to the West. But Barker went there. I can prove this. He went to China and um, East Germany and several other communist behind the Iron Curtain countries that you just don't get to and went to prison camps, was taken to and shown various prison camps and re-education programs. He studied and learned and carried this back to Oak Ridge, where he put the same programs into practice in Oak Ridge. I actually have the, the, the plan developed in China of how to, um, how to force people into compliance. Soft torture, but really, really harsh psychologically. Wow. It's called MAP, Motivation, Attitude, and Participation, MAP. Um, Barker carried this program that he learned from 
prison re-education camps in communist countries carried this into Oak Ridge and refined it with the use of, of different drugs than what they, what they had in East or in communist countries. Um, LSD being the big one, mm-hmm. lots of, that was his thing. That's was finally his downfall. In a- so anyway, Doc Barker was the source of this program, but behind it was Boyd. He was the guy who, he was the administrator. I have so many letters to, of, to and from Boyd regarding different problems, each one of them more extreme than the previous. There's no end to this. This wasn't just uh, out of control experiments. These were malicious people doing criminal acts and they were never called to answer, except, mm. you know, there's a 20 year lawsuit that was recently settled. I oh. didn't. I didn't know it was settled. No, I. I, oh, I, I yeah, did happen upon it. Yeah, it's settled finally. Mm-hmm. So here's where it stands. I started this lawsuit in 1997. So mm-hmm. at the time that I went to Toronto to record that video, that documentary with CBC, um, at the same time I went to a lawyer and told him the whole story. So he was quite interested because I'm there with CBC. Mm-hmm. He saw. You know, he's a lawyer. He saw something, mm-hmm. even though the story was wacko mm-hmm. and out there. And you know, normally I would have been kicked out of his office if I even got five minutes of his time. Mm-hmm. But because I was there with CBC, he saw something. So long story short, which I can't do, um, I retained this lawyer. So this I was in this lawsuit for about 10 years, but eventually they forced me out of the lawsuit because I couldn't prove that I suffered enough damage. Mm. See, my life is really good. I'm very successful, mm. financially independent, and have a really good life. So I can't prove damages. Mm. Whereas there's a bunch of other people that they solicited, they advertised in a newspaper and found, I believe it was initially 33 people that had also gone through this program and formed a class action lawsuit. Wow and forced me out of it. Hmm. So this lawsuit went on for 20 years, 20 plus years. There was a judgment, I think, two years ago, maybe more than two years ago, in favor of the litigants, all in favor. It was a $10 million suit. Then the government appealed it. They would not admit that they did this. So it was under appeal for the last two years, but recently, the court of appeal rejected all of the all of the reasons for the appeal and determined how much each litigant was to be awarded so i know people involved in it so I, they'll tell me when the award finally reaches them and how much they get and how much the lawyers take so these people are suffering and and the only reason why i have the documents i have is because one of the the widow of one of the litigants who died during the process contacted me because of my book. Mm. She read the book and contacted me and said her husband was in this lawsuit but died and left behind a box of, of documents. So oh. after a period of getting to know her, she sent me all of this stuff. And that's what led to the Fifth Estate doing the documentary about St. Thomas. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So it's intriguing enough as it is how I came to be there. Mm -hmm. But what's 
much, much more important is not my story, but the story of Saint of, of, of Saint Thomas, Saint and, Thomas, and, and, and after. Oak Ridge, yeah. and the connection, and the government connection as well. Yeah, and Your connection with with the guy who died, with mm -hmm. the widow who contacted me. Mm -hmm. His story. He yeah. wound up in Fort McCoy, dealing with um, the Muriel boat lift, the uh, Cuban crisis. Mm -hmm. Remember the Cuban refugee crisis? Yeah. Sent him there to help deal with that. And Oak Ridge, where he was, he was a part of this program and became what they called a teacher. They referred to as a teacher, which yeah. means they know the whole program and they can do it too. Yeah, and that's that's one thing I wanted to get into is at it seems like with Dr. Barker, one of the things that he was doing that was so unconventional, aside from using like LSD and experimental drugs in his treatment, and I'm using air quotes, mm -hmm. is he set up a sort of program where the patients were looking after other patients. So like, oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was happening when you were there as well, was it? Like you you were. Oh yeah, that you, was the structure. That was how the whole thing was structured. That was the point. That's how they do it. They don't they don't beat you into submission. They don't have a bunch of guards putting you on the rack and sticking hot coals on your feet. Not like that. That's not how they re-educate you. They set up an artificial um, social environment complete with currency, but it's all internalized and it's under complete control. You have to understand why they were doing this. Mm -hmm. Then you'll understand the purpose for the technique. The technique is secondary to the reason. You'll understand why the technique, mm -hmm. once you understand what they were looking for and what they were trying to accomplish. It wasn't just random experiments. They were looking for something first. What what were they looking for? Like what do you what did you make from these sorts of the bizarre experiments? This was about psychopaths. All about psychopaths. Now, most people have a complete misunderstanding of what a psychopath is, the Hollywood version, stabbing you in the shower and all. But it's not like that at all. In the time, you have to cast your mind back to the environment of the time. And they didn't know anything about psychopaths. If you think of it, mass murders were fairly rare in the 60s. There wasn't a lot of random, violent madness like there is now cast your mind back it was there was but not as common as now mm -hmm. but that's when they began to realize that there's people out there that are different from the rest of us they have no conscience they they lack something that makes them human and makes them behave in society the way the rest of us do um, most of us don't want to do bad things to other people we just have this internal voice that says don't do that mm -hmm. But they began to recognize that there are people like that and that they can be useful. They're useful. I can't do certain tasks, like I can't dig ditches very well, so I'll hire a guy with big muscles to dig ditches. I can't do crowd control and trample old ladies on, a, on, on horseback, but, but I can hire someone that will. So I have to find that person now. The experiments at the time in the 60s were based on two things. How do you find psychopaths? How do you identify them? And how do you direct them? How do you use them? What do they need? What do they want? How can you use this type of person to accomplish the things that you can't do yourself and that normal people can't? 
That's what this whole program was about. And I think I have proven it. I think if you put all of the things that I have put out into public, all of the documentaries, all of the documents, all of the people, the individual, you see how useful psychopaths are and how they tested it, how they refined it. And now the world we live in, look around you. It's full of them. There's many, it used to be maybe one to two and a half percent of the population are psychopathic to one degree or another. It's not just an off or on switch. It's a, it's a, it's a scale. Mm -hmm. So a very small percentage of the population used to be psychopathic, but I think it's increasing. I look around and I, I think everybody kind of feels that, that there's more people out there that have no conscience, that have no empathy, no connection. They don't care. Just do what I want for me. Mm -hmm. This is the society they try to create. Yeah. And now the idea of like them looking for psychopaths that they could involve, uh, include in this program, I guess that backs up to your original, um, you know, that sort of prisoner slash patient exchange that happened. Do you think there was something about you where they're like, this guy could be one, like, let's, let's get him in here. We'll, you know, make this trade. Like, do you think you were kind of almost like headhunted? Oh, they were headhunting. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't say if they thought I might be one that they were looking for, or I might be just a control group. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, just something that, you know, these guys, because I never killed anybody. I was I was amongst the baddest of the bad, mass murderers and rapists and really, really freaking bad people. Mm -hmm. I can name some, but mm -hmm. anyway, bad people that did bad things. And I stole a car. So you know, the, the, there wasn't really much of a of a comparison crime-wise with the with the environment I found myself in. So I can't say what their initial belief was, but I think in the end I was a control group mm -hmm. that you have to use, you know, why you have to have that. There's two hospitals or asylums or however we want to put it that are involved. It's, it starts at Oak Ridge and then it, I, I guess, evolves or changes and ends up at a different hospital, I think, St. Thomas. Can, can oh. you talk about that transition, why that happened and what changed leading from Oak Ridge to St. Thomas? Wow. Where to begin with this? It gets so ugly. First of all, it was a parallel program. St. Thomas was a women's institution as um, Oak Ridge was a forensic for men. Right? So these were women who have committed crimes. Some of them were really bad, put their babies in an oven and cooked them, like that kind of wacko. You know? So here they are in a mental hospital. So in Oak Ridge, people who went through the training program, graduated from this program, became teachers. And they went back and, and started indoctrinating new re new people. Right? So they took four of these men and they sent them to St. Thomas Women's Ward and put four men in there from Oak Ridge. Here's the kicker. All four of those men were convicted violent rapists. And they were sent to a women's asylum to basically be leaders. Yeah to set up the, the whole program, watch the fifth estate. It's called treatment or torture. The first part is about Oak Ridge. The second part 
is about the information that I gave them about St. Thomas that led to this documentary. This was the first time the world ever heard anything about what went on in St. Thomas. Mm -hmm. And it's even worse than what's in the Fifth Estate. I have stuff even worse. I have the adoption certificates for the pregnancies that took place. It was a rape factory. The doctors themselves were using videos of these women getting raped. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Yeah. One thing I want to get into just to get a better understanding is uh, I, I can understand the style of the program where it's like the patients are treating the patients in this weird socially kind of constructed scenario but I, I i don't get how the drugs fit in why were they like what was the lsd and the different drugs the doctors were administering what was that being used for or was that maybe just to kick uh, the hornet's nest well yeah essentially good uh, good description kick the hornet's nest mm -hmm. um essentially yeah that but also it was purely experimental they just didn't know they were trying all kinds of drugs in these environments to see what would work with psychopaths how it was just raw data as far as i can see mm -hmm. trying all kinds they, they even used alcohol they don't talk about that much but they got a bunch of patients pissed drunk wow so just all kinds of you know who knows an experiment is an experiment yeah, well, it's, it sounds like kind of like trial and error done in this cruel, cold and cheap way, maybe. Having like the, the patients look after the patients seems like it allows one doctor to kind of run the whole hospital if everyone's looking after each other. Well, there was the financial thing as well, but that's really not what motivated this. They might try to distract you and say, but it's so much cheaper to have the patients run it. Well, I mean, that's crazy on the surface. Mm -hmm. it, it's, um, I mean, really, it's, a, it, it's absurd. It's really the patients have taken over the asylum in reality. Mm -hmm. um, and now, as far as your personal experience, did you, you wouldn't have been involved in St. Thomas. You just spent your time in, in Oak Ridge. How long were you in Oak Ridge yourself? Oh, not, not long. Probably less than eight months. Now, most people were there for years. Mm -hmm. See, I, the thing, the reason why I'm here talking to you about this is that Oak Ridge struck a glancing blow. It didn't hit me hard. I mm -hmm. survived it, but I memorized everything. I remember all of it. They mm -hmm. killed people in there. Crimes were committed. Mm -hmm. So I remember all of it. But I wasn't there long enough for it to really wreck me like it did everyone else. Mm -hmm. in Let me tell you the story about Matt Lamb. Yeah. First of all, Matt Lamb was probably the most intelligent person in this program. He was very, very smart, charismatic. Um, so in 1965, I think, maybe a little later, he took his grandfather's shotgun and shot four people in Toronto at a bus stop. No one has any idea why, but he was the first person in Canada who was found not guilty by reason of insanity and escaped the death penalty. Mm. They were going to execute him. So he was the first person found not guilty by reason of insanity. He was put in Oak Ridge where he became Barker's favorite patient. Um, he supposedly got more clinical LSD than anyone in history. I knew Matt Lamb. He was really, I liked him. He was really a nice guy. I talked to him a lot in the time in there. So, um, Anyway, in 19, 
76, maybe a little earlier, 76, he was released from Oak Ridge where he went to live with Barker, Dr. Barker, on his farm, doing manual labor for him, which was the first job he ever had in his life, by the way. So doing manual labor on the doctor's farm, taking care of Dr. Barker's two children sometimes. And then he next turned up in Israel in the Yom Kippur War. He went to Israel, joined the, the IDF, got military training, and went to the Yom Kippur War. He came back from Israel, disillusioned with Israel, didn't like what he saw or whatever. He came back to the farm and then went to uh, Rhodesia, where a war was going on, where he was killed in the Bush War. You look him up on Wikipedia, you'll see him in his Rhodesian military uniform as a hero. Bizarre. How does how does Lamb's military or time as a mercenary in the you know in the military how does that connect to what he's been doing through Barker? What were they trying to do in Oak Ridge? Yeah. What were they trying to do? They were trying to discover psychopaths and how to use them. So what better way to how to use a psychopath than to turn one into a mercenary? a successful Manchurian candidate, if ever there was one. Mm -hmm. They took Matt Lamb, who was a killer, uh, like for no reason, just killed people for no reason, and turned him into a decorated hero soldier, a Manchurian candidate. They create, they, they found him and directed him to perfection. And they proved their point that it can be done. Matt Lamb is the perfect example. There's others. Wow. So... And, and this, of course, is something CBC doesn't get into in the Fifth Estate, but your belief is that the work that they were doing in Oak Ridge and on into St. Thomas is to find a way to take advantage of the psychopaths that are in society, to understand them, how, well, the, how they tick I, and how to use them? I guess take advantage. Yeah, how to use them. is. I wouldn't say take advantage of. I, I would phrase it as how to use them for purposes that you can't get normal people to do. Mm. Normal people will not do some things. Some jobs are just beyond the realm of what a normal person's conscience will do. In spite of the fake Milgram experiments that people are familiar with, mm -hmm. where somebody in a white lab coat ordered people to shock someone, and th that whole thing was bullshit. It was like set up in a clinical that does not reflect reality. Most people, in fact, won't. Most people are not psychopaths. So it's hard to find people that will just follow orders that, you know, they have to go home to their wife and kids after doing that. Mm -hmm. No, you have to find, look, there's something all police forces do something called psychometric tests in uh, when they recruit police, presumably to weed out bad thinking people. One of them is called an MMPI. It's a Minneapolis multi-phase personality inventory. Mm -hmm. Been around for a long, long time. It has about 550 questions, yes and no, or true or false. So you do this test, and this will give you a pretty accurate idea of where you stand on the psychopathy scale. How much are you lacking in empathy and conscience? And where do you stand on this scale? It is a scale. 
But some people are so high on the scale that they are damn straight out psychopaths. I submit it's not to weed them out at all. It's to weed them in. It's to find the ones and to put them into the right category, to put them into the place where they are the ones with the baton on horseback, smashing innocent, unarmed civilians like no other person could do except the psychopath. Mm -hmm. So they use these tests and what they discovered to recruit the people now and to direct them. There's nothing more that a psychopath likes than to have a badge and a uniform. They like power. They like authority. They don't want people to disagree with them. Don't disagree with me. I'll punch your face out. So that's kind of how they are. And this occupation suits them. And what they learned in the Oak Ridge experiments and the St. Thomas experiments helped them to do that. Wow. It's so clear to me, having mm -hmm. lived this, mm -hmm. this is part of my reality for 50 freaking years. Mm -hmm. So something must have sunk in. I'm not stupid. I don't have any degrees, but I've been at this long enough that I kind of see it clearly. Mm -hmm. I've seen it develop. Just to get uh, some of your memories from in Oak Ridge, when you think of the different kind of experience, experiments and kind of things that you went through there, and then thinking back what you just said about what you expect their end goal was with all of this experiments, what kind of things did, were you put through that may kind of connect to them using the results of these experiments to uh, find how to use psychopaths? Like, well, give me an oh example of something that you did that maybe could have been that the average person would be like, yeah, I could see the connection there. Wow. This is research that takes so, you know, it takes people with clipboards and very careful analysis of all of it to um, to record a whole series of events and come to conclusions. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't really do that in a in a mm -hmm. brief blog. But one of the things that were was kind of interesting was the capsule. Maybe you read something about that. Mm -hmm. So this was um, it was about a ten by ten room. Maybe a little, yeah, about 10 by 10 room. It's all just padded. It's all lined. So they would put up to six naked men in there for up to 10 days, maybe two weeks. It was my duty to run the camera if anything happened in the capsule because I'm the observer. It's my task to be the observer. I have to stay up all night, do not fall asleep, and watch through this. If something happens, turn the camera on. The camera was two and a half, three inch tape on big reels, like an old tape recorder, right? But at the time that was state of the art. Mm -hmm. When I did the documentary with CBC, they pointed out to me, who paid for this? This was state of the art. This was better than CBC had at the time. <laughs> who paid for all of that? Mm. That's I a good question. Who, I know, uh, I already who? know. Um, well, I, I know partway. Um, a grant from the Canadian Donner Foundation, $50,000 grant from the Donner Foundation, which is a known cutout for the CIA. Okay. Now, who got the tapes? I ask you. There were hundreds of hours of tapes and weird stuff happened. I saw weird stuff myself. Um, I won't go into it here, but really, really twisted up stuff you don't want to see mm -hmm. i was forced to observe this and to record it so i know some of what was on there 
But what I want to know is where did all, this now, these tapes would be considered child pornography. Some of these people, not men, some of them were 15 years old. Wow. Uh, th there must Who got have, the tapes? Yeah. At, at some point, there must have been a pretty serious kind of uh, paper shredding, uh, book burning campaign. W when does this come to light? Because like, as far as like what I'm getting from you now, it's really it, it doesn't become exposed until you begin writing and get this this package yeah. from the widow. Like, is that when the truth? That's, what happened. That's exactly what happened. So well, they had years to cover their Look, tracks. I took it took me decades to get any traction on this story at all. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the humiliation I suffered being tossed out of radio programs, literally frog marched out of places. People give you that look, cuckoo story. Mm -hmm. So it's for me to get past that notion that this is a crazy idea. I'm an ex-mental patient bitching about whatever. It took literal decades to get beyond that. But I did. Then at one point... Uh, I, I got a phone call out of nowhere from um, from John Ronson, mm -hmm. author of um, The Man Who Stared at Ghosts. Yes, yes. He's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. So I got a phone call out of nowhere because of my Oak Ridge experience. He threw, some, threw my lawyer. He found my, got my phone number and called me. So asked me if I wanted to participate in the book. So I did. So I'm in this book, which was a good step forward in the Oak Ridge story, bringing it from obscurity to something published. So I wasn't quite satisfied with, with John. Ron I like John Ronson, but I wasn't quite satisfied with his representation of me in the book. So I thought I gotta, I gotta fix this. I gotta write it myself. Damn it. So I asked John Ronson about writing, like, how can I, how can I do this? I, I don't even have a grade nine education and, I have no idea. So he gave me a little bit of advice and I followed the three bits of advice and it worked. So after that came out, then it got traction. People started reading it. And right now I'm in contact with someone else, same situation that, that led to the fifth estate documentary on um, St. Thomas. The same thing is happening again with Matt Lamb. Somebody, someone who knew him contacted me, Some, someone who knew the family, insiders, with okay. information that absolutely contradicts the official narrative. So I'm trying to get Fifth Estate to do something with this. I don't know. It's hard. Well, well just like you said, it's like on paper, it's a crazy story. And if I just read a summary of everything that you told me, I would say that has to be a work of fiction. Like it sounds like uh, something Stanley Kubrick would have yeah, wrote and directed in the seventies. Not fiction. Yeah. Well, it's almost the, it's the opposite. Of, it's kind of like the opposite of clockwork orange. If you've seen that film. It, yeah. Well, if I've seen that, maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah. a dozen times. I don't yeah. know. But it, it's yeah. right in that world, but you have the documents to back it up. We've only scratched the surface of it. Mm -hmm. It's just never ending. The, the things that keep falling into my lap. Mm -hmm. These people committed horrible, egregious crimes. I saw, I saw someone get murdered in Oak Ridge and everybody got away with it. They got away with it. They got away with everything. Nobody was ever charged with any criminal offense throughout this whole thing. No assault and battery, no uh, charges of 
torture and con illegal confinement and no criminal charges at all. There was rape, institutionalized, um, um, how to put this, mechanized, the, the psychopath machine. The next one would be the rape machine because that's what Oak Ridge was, or that's what St. Thomas was. Wow. And now just to get back to Lamb is the way I see this all coming together is, is if the research got to the point that they actually had someone to set out into the world to see how this all comes together, it seems like Lamb was the guy. Like, do, do you think? Yeah, I think. Mm -hmm. okay. That's why I focus on Matt Lamb. There's others as well. But that's why I like to focus on Matt Lamb because he's the most clear and obvious example of what they were doing. There's probably others that we don't know anything about yet. I'm sure there are. Like who is Michael McEwen from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia? I don't know. Look that up. Look at it. Go look around Dartmouth and see if you can find any McEwen family um, surviving that knows anything about Rhodesia and had see if he's around. I don't know. I didn't try to track him down. I should have, but didn't. Now, as you, you talked about, they're not having been charges. Uh, Oak Ridge is gone. St. Thomas, I, I think it's still there, but it's obviously not doing yeah, this. Yeah, it's empty. It's oh, empty. look up pictures of it. It's a haunted building. I'd love to go there. Uh, yeah. It's the it's the cover of a horror movie, the pictures inside. Oh, yeah, and what happened yeah. inside is even worse. Um, and now Dr. Barker has since passed. So I guess... Mm. Still alive. Oh, He's really? He's still alive. Okay. Yeah, he's still alive. It, so, but he has Alzheimer's. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, he, he's, yeah, he has, he's, yeah. So he's kind of out of the picture, presumably. Uh, but he might be just hiding behind that to avoid court. Not sure. Wow. Um, yeah. But anyway, as, the last video of him. Th this is where I win. This is where the bell rings, and I go, I win. After fifty years of fighting this battle, this is where for me, the final. Um, the final winning bell came in the interview on the Fifth Estate where they had some old video of Barker mm -hmm. sitting back in his chair um, talking about his Oak Ridge memoirs. It is the most arrogant thing that you could imagine. It and was hard to watch. End, did you watch that? Yeah, that was tough. It's, so that part, that was hard. He he ended with literally he ended admitting that he was face down in a bucket of shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was his last words. Yes, you are. You end your career. When, when he said in that interview that he was really pissed off about his critics, he was talking about me because mm -hmm. I started all this. I came down on him. I wrecked that guy. So that's my win because I've ruined his career. I did what I set out to do. I proved that he was an evil, torturing son of a bitch. And he picked on the wrong person when he picked on me. That's what I set out to do. And that Fifth Estate video, it ended perfectly with Barker in complete defeat, looking like a complete idiot. And he did it to himself. Mm -hmm. I helped him along the way, but he did it to himself. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's the greatest victory of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. But still, there's St. Thomas now. Mm -hmm. which is a whole now other battle obligation yeah. it's a whole other battle now you know for people who are, are listening we've we've mentioned your book a lot um i can't wait to read it myself but we're for tell me a bit about it like how did the book come to to be 
where can you get it? And what do, what do you include in the book? Because it sounds like a lot of what you've been talking about are things that have come to you after the publishing of the book. Uh, the St. Thomas part is, mm-hmm. but the publishing of the book itself, it was a memoir. It was just, it was like my memory of what happened. So if I don't record this, it'll disappear. Mm-hmm. It's gone. If I don't record it, if it's not clearly written, this whole saga of Oak Ridge and what happened in there in the time will disappear. So the best thing I can do is just write it as best I can. So I did. Mm-hmm. So, where, where can we get it? Oh, um, Amazon, any of the booksellers. It's, it's all on, on there. But if you buy it direct from Etsy, I can sign it for you because okay. I have a big box of them here. So okay. I can... I'll include links for people who want to do that. What is it called? The Psychopath Machine. Okay. Well, Steve, it's been a pleasure talking to you. (laughs) You as well. You know, we should do this again. We will. One of the better interviews I've done. You're very good at this. Thanks. Well, I'm going to read your book and we'll talk again. Okay. Let me know when. Take care, Steve. Bye-bye. I want to thank you for joining Steve Smith and I for our discussion surrounding the Oak Ridge Medical Asylum. For those interested in learning more about Steve's story and Oak Ridge in general, I've added links to this episode description that'll bring you to the two CBC documentaries and to Steve's book. The story, as you can probably imagine, spins in many more directions than I could ever fit in an hour-long episode of this podcast. And with all that said, I'm going to wrap up this episode, but before we part, I'm going to give some thanks. First, a huge thanks to Steve for sharing an evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. A shout out to Monty Data, who contributed the music for this episode. And lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping this show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take some weight off the show's back, make sure you listen on the premium feed. And not only does the premium feed fund the creation of the show, it gives you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content regularly and maintain a full back catalog of episodes only on the night, only on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, go premium at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And on the topic of the premium feed, I want to thank the latest subscribers, Nathan, Sarah, Karen, and Charlene, Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it with a premium feed subscription, you can help out the show by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting any like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you want to do it here, if you have any story ideas, if you want to get feedback on the show, or if you'd like to contribute a voice memo to be aired in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com. I hope to hear from you. But until then... Take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Hi. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now, she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. Better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> 
Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.